0: All right, well, um, you neglected to say that I'm ordained in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Maybe there was a reason I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> how, how are we? Any CMA people here? Two, three, amazing. Um, we got... We made them sit together. We have our problems. And, uh, but anyways, in um, and, and Life on the Vine, for all you Anglicans, I mean, Life on the Vine was a, a church planted with uh, probably 70% ex-evangelicals, ex-people leaving various expressions of evangelicalism, and, and we were uh, driven by uh, the reclamation of liturgy. So uh, there's a, there was an Anglican part of that kind of ethos to life on the vine. So anyways, uh, the subject that I would like to address today, was anybody here on Saturday or in St. Catherine's on Saturday? Just one? Okay, John, you might have heard some of this, but you need to hear it again. (coughs) You need to hear it again is what I said. (laughs) Um, The subject is finding his presence where we eat. The Lord's Table, or um, how about this, the Eucharist as a missional discipline. So uh, let me start out, now by the way, this is a chapter in my forthcoming book, which I'm more than halfway through, which should come out sometime next year. Uh, And it's like, so I'm gonna be working off a chapter six on on this book. Um, But let me start out with this this story of uh, R.J. Cooper opening a restaurant. Uh, The uh, September 2014 issue of USA Today tells the story of the chef who's who's starting uh, a restaurant. And it's in the Washington DC area. And he was asked whether he wanted a cell phone charging station at the hostess desk. I don't know why they call it hostess. I assume there's both male and female hosts, hosts. But that's, I'm just. This is the USA Today. Misogynist USA Today. But anyways, (laughs) uh, he answered abruptly, no. 100% no. This is a very abrupt, all out, full voice no. And then he went, uh, then the article went on to um, report on the battle restaurant owners were having creating an atmosphere for eating, for eating that was free from distractions of social media and electronic communications. He said several restaurants have banned cell phones, uh, banned social media distractions. They said social media distractions were ruining, destroying people's ability to eat meals together. And they, they could not be present at the table. And it was taking, uh, whereas it used to take two or three minutes to get people to look at the menu, it would take, I was gonna say hours, but that's a bit of an exaggeration. Um, and little social interaction was actually taking place around the table. The ambiance, this, this is I think what really got the restaurateurs upset the ambiance of the restaurant was being totally ignored. We put all this money into building a beautiful ambiance, and it's being totally just ignored. And so uh, uh, they quote uh, this guy, C.J. Cooper, as saying that the the restaurants are losing their reason for being. Losing their reason for being. We have lost in our culture uh, the wherewithal to be present at the table with each other, lost it. Cooper's quandary illustrates how much we lack presence in our society, presence, that ability to be present, that ability for me to be present with you right now to take notice of who you are, to try to understand some of the things you're going through. Now, it's very hard for me to get very far with my presence because I I haven't even met any, most of you I haven't even met, except there are some Christian Missionary Alliance people here. We know who we are. We have a connection. But anyways, um, as uh, philosopher Slavoj Zizek reminds us, Real conversation around the table is foreign to our fast food times, which only knows business meals. Business meals. And in the States, we call that power lunch. Power lunch. Do you call them power lunches up here? No, you don't know what power lunches are. This is when when you get together with people in business and your one goal is to achieve a sale, to dominate. This is the exact opposite of presence. Nonetheless, the world is hungering for presence. After work in Chicago, people arrive home on the train and they swarm to bars for a quick hour of a beverage, an alcoholic beverage most of the time which kind of eases the tension to be with each other around the table. In uh, the metro trains, they now segregate cars into people who want to be quiet and not talk and people who want to be with each other. They have cars for people are hungering for presence. The world carries the urge to share life meaningfully with one another. The world, I would say, longs for Eucharist. Longs to eat and share life together and be present to one another. Now, the Lord's table, for us Anglicans, we call it the Eucharist. For Christian Missionary Alliance people, when we talk about it, you know, I think there are three lines about an ordinance in the CMA polity, but that's down south. Of course, it's different up here, hopefully. But I contend that the Eucharist, the Lord's table, is all about presence. Surely it's about eating, but ultimately it's a discipline which shapes us to be present, To God's presence in Christ at the table when we eat. So let me just try to say that one more time. It's a discipline which shapes us together to be present to God's presence in Christ at the table when we eat, Um, it trains us to be present to Christ. But in the process, we become present to each other in a way that's only possible in Christ. It trains us to be present to one another. And our lives are reordered socially in His presence. The Lord's table, the Eucharist. Um, There are, of course, differences in the way we practice the Lord's table or the Eucharist. I have to keep saying the Lord's table or the Eucharist because there's Christian Mission Alliance people here. They're going, I'm sorry, I'm, see you guys never should have raised your hands. <laughs> Christian Mission Alliance people are going every time I say Eucharist, what's the Eucharist? What is that Eucharist? Okay, I mean, if you go here to Wycliffe, uh, you know what the Eucharist is but I'm just making a joke out of things. Keeps things rolling people people pay more attention that way anyways um, there are differences but nevertheless there's a common core like a we all incorporate the words of institution in some way as the means to remember the meaning of the bread and the wine now remember means different things and amnesis means different things and in uh, Anglican high church tradition versus Anabaptist traditions versus evangelical free church tradition. Nonetheless, when I mean, maybe we ought to talk about it, we still do that move. Most of us do that when we celebrate the Lord's table. There's also an invitation to peace and reconciliation. There's a recognition that when we come together, this shapes us in, in ways with one another. It's a dynamic So when we do Eucharist at Life in the Vine, and I'm presiding, I say, if there is anyone with enmity against someone else in this gathering, get out of here now. No, Uh, go. (laughs) Go to that person. We love you. If someone would just be bold enough to do this, Because it's so important, go to that person and step out of the room and work things out for the purposes of Christ in our lives together. We recognize that peace comes, uh, the call or invitation to peace comes at the Eucharist. There's also a prayer of thanksgiving. It's called the Eucharist. It's a prayer of thanksgiving to God. It's a blessing to God. And by thanking God, we are opening ourselves up to receive. That's a posture that changes the way we relate to one another. So, uh, also there's an inviting of the Holy Spirit to be present, most of the time. Um, Call it the epiclesis in high church traditions. There's a, the Holy Spirit is invited to be here uh, in the Christian Missionary Alliance. Uh, We've had healing services for years around the Lord's table. We recognize the Holy Spirit's at work here. We have been postured to open up our lives for the Holy Spirit. And then often, not always, but often there's an offering of material goods. Often there's an offering afterwards or before. Sometimes we call it the benevolent offering. Sometimes we take the offering before. Symbolically, it means we bring what what God has given to us for him to flourish among us and into the world. That's the Lord's table. Um, What drives the discipline of the table, in my opinion, first and foremost, is is the requirement of mutual submission. Mutual submission. We come and we submit ourselves to Christ his presence, and to one another around the table. As we submit to his presence, we are realigned into his reign. His reign. His rule. So um, forgiveness, reconciliation, the renewal of all things, flow from this table into our lives and into the world. Think about that. Think about that. Think about the politic that is born among us and how it shapes us as a people. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus inaugurates the table. And you may remember in Luke 22, there's this issue of the disciples getting hung up on who is going to be over who, who's going to be sitting at the right hand, who's going to be sitting at the left hand. And Jesus says, not so among you. These modes of authority associated with the Gentiles, where they lorded over people, Luke twenty-two twenty-five, 25, it shall not be so among you, rather the greatest among you shall be like the youngest and the leader shall be the one who serves. And so in the Johannine account, Jesus gets down on his hands and knees and says the leader must go first and he washes their feet. And he institutes a new politics of life together. It's going to be through mutual submission and surrender. He could not be more explicit about it. And then he says, this whole scene prefigures the kingdom of God. As the Father confers on me, so I confer on you a kingdom. Luke 22. And he says... That ye may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom. This prefigures the kingdom. The new way of being together. The new way of authority. And so the kingdom shall be founded upon mutual submission. One to another. The table invites us to submit to what God is doing among us and through Jesus Christ. To enter requires we submit, we surrender. In 1 Corinthians 11, this requirement of submission manifests itself differently. Oh, I have a clock up there. What am I doing? Paul says, examine yourselves, for all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. At issue is the way the Corinthians are coming to the table. They are thinking more about themselves than one another. They are not mutually submitting one to another. The rich are eating and indulging while the poor are suffering and going hungry, verse 21. Divisions are breaking out among them. Everyone is acting out in some of the most narcissistic of ways. And so Paul says when you come together, it's not really the Lord's Supper you are celebrating. This is not the Lord's Supper verse 20. So you see that at the table, Christ becomes fully present. And so this demands mutual submission, tending to what is happening to the other person in our midst. Think of how earth-shaking this must have been. Think of how disruptive this experience of Christ at the table must have been. Think about it. The very presence of the Lord is here at this table, disrupting and calling us into a new way of being together. Have you ever experienced this kind of uh, this kind of Lord's table in your churches? I contend that this practice of the Lord's Table is ground zero for renewal of the church, for planting churches. Now in a minute I'm going to explain why I think that this uh, table practice doesn't end at this, this, this discerning table, let's call it Sunday morning table. I was debating with a church planter a couple days ago in Hamilton about whether we could do this on Saturday. I mean, we, we celebrate the Lord's table as a sign of the resurrection of Christ and the resurrected Lord and his presence. And so normally we celebrate it on Sunday. I think we arranged that, yeah, after sundown, theoretically, that's the third day starts. So you can do it Sunday, Saturday evenings. But the point is, I think that the uh, Lord's table moves out From this Sunday gathering into the neighborhood in different ways and uh, one of the ways and I'm going to illustrate this in a minute one of the ways is how it moves into our homes and so uh, just to illustrate this idea of submission and tending to one another and tending to the presence of Christ among us um, we would gather people at my house every Friday night I mean it took um, a year to find 10 people that would commit to gathering at my home every Friday night. Busy, I'm too busy. I've got children's uh, programs. I'm too busy. I got a job. I'm too tired. Too tired. You're too tired to meet with the risen Lord on a Friday night? Well, I don't know what you're talking about. One of the problems is that we you know, uh, we really don't believe this is anything, all right? Uh, so when I say, you're too tired to meet with the risen Lord on a Friday night, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's very cute how you just put that, that's cute. we risen Lord, but really what you're doing is a house group and I don't need another thing to do. We really don't believe that the risen Lord is present. But um, what I learned finally, after we got 10 people to gather on a Friday night, was we would, and I view this as an extension of the table, on Sunday morning, we would gather around the island. We would all bring food, just like that thing I talked about with the Eucharist, is we're all bringing offerings. We would gather around and we would give thanks, because giving thanks, by the way, is part of the Eucharist. We would say, thank you, Lord, for all the blessings. We now submit to your presence at the table. We commit to being your people, intending the forgiveness, the reconciliation, and the renewal of all things among us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now that's a, that's a Eucharistic inaugurating prayer. But I'm still on this whole theme of learning how to mutually submit around the table. It was very important to us that we learned how to sit around that table and tend to one another. Tend. Uh, it's, it's actually um, much less work than you might think. It's actually the idea is quit doing stuff. You all remember when uh, in Luke chapter 10 verse 38 when Mary and Martha are in the house and Jesus is there and Mary's all upset. No I'm sorry Martha's all upset. She's tending to things, she's ordering things, she's cleaning up, and Mary's over there tending to the presence of Christ. And and, and Martha says, for goodness sakes, Jesus, tell her to get with it. I'm working my butt off over here. And and, uh, Jesus says, you're worried and concerned about too many things, you are distracted. Mary is doing what's important, tending to the presence he didn't say these words. I'm kind of interpreting it. But Mary isn't doing what's important. Tending to my presence. When we sit around the table, I, I'm a type A white Caucasian Euro male. Okay? I always think I have to be in control. It's, it's, it's not my fault. I was raised this way. It's not my fault. I was raised in a culture where white males are... Sp- oh, please forgive me for apologizing so much about myself. But anyways, the, the, point, the point of the matter is, No! I don't start taking control of the room. No, I don't start dominating the conversation. No, I don't start directing everything. Actually, I just start asking questions. And I just start, hey, hey, you're talking too much about yourself. I don't say that. I just say, hey, would you like to ask somebody a question? Slowly, over, over six months to a year, we learned how to tend to one another and realize that it's not just, I'm going to do some of my artwork here. Isn't this brilliant? This is what we learned in Christian Missionary Alliance Sunday School. Okay, and this is the table, and this is, I'll put a cross there. It's not just what's going on between these people around the table. Jesus is here. It's tending to what's going on between us at the table. And slowly we learned how to tend to one another, and then things, and trust broke out. And forgiveness broke out. And reconciliation with people broke out. And in their lives, we became known. We tended to the table, and then people in the neighborhood are going, uh, that are going through huge struggles are going, what's going on at your house? And then they come in. Tending to the table. This is something that Cooper was trying to figure out when he was starting a restaurant. The table, I'd like to say one more thing before I uh, get going on how this table works as an extension into our neighborhoods and places of life. I'd like to say at the table, and this is true of all the sacramental practices, the kingdom, the kingdom becomes manifest with the presence of Christ. When we gather at the table, God's rule over the whole world takes shape in our midst in Christ's real presence. There's a, there's a collision of sorts. I, 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 this, this is like chapter six or seven of the book, and there's all this theology that goes into the, the preparation for this chapter. But I'll just say in five seconds or, or five sentences the theology behind this. Most of us know about the Missio Day, God's rule over the whole world. And often we find churches chasing justice all over the world, uh, little churches finding projects to do, and we call it God's justice in the world, and it stands a good chance that it is. Um, most of us know, though, that God came in Christ the Son incarnationally to be with us. So, so do you see there's, there's two things going on here? Missio Dei and Incarnation. When God comes in Christ to give us his presence and manifest it among us, that's his larger role taking shape in time and space in our, where we're living, in the places where we are. That's the church. So in a way, what I'm saying is Missio Dei plus Incarnation equals witness, and that's where the witness of the church takes place. Um, I hope it didn't... I hope you're not writing me off by, by saying, oh, that wasn't that clear because there's a lot more to it. But um, let, me, let me just say one more thing. Let me try this. Great commission. All power and authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth, Jesus says before your sins. That's the Missio Day. That's the, the rule over the whole earth. God is at work everywhere. He's in charge of all things. God, or, or through Jesus Christ, the, the, the lamb that was slain is, unrab, is, is unsealing, pulling off all those seals one by one, bringing the world to its conclusion, right? He's in charge of all things. But then he says, and lo, I am with you always, with incarnation. Emmanuel, God is with us. Wherever those two things come together, that's the church in time and space. The Eucharist is where the kingdom and the presence of Christ Comes into one place. So when we gather at the table, we see that Jesus makes it clear that this table is the kingdom taking shape among us. He inaugurates it as I confer, uh, as my father has conferred on me. I confer on you a kingdom, right? Right there in Luke twenty-two. But when we sit around the table, our eyes are opened. And we know his presence in a special way. His presence becomes recognizable around the table. So we remember along the Emmaus Road in Luke chapter 24 that it was when they were walking with Jesus and it was when he took bread, broke it, gave it to them, that their eyes were opened. We could recognize the presence of Christ. So... I just think that's so important because I think that most of our churches, most of our missional churches that I'm involved in are on a wild goose chase looking for God in the world and justice. And it isn't until we learn how to recognize His presence around the table that we recognize God at work. One of the problems we have in in our uh, churches is, uh, and this goes more for evangelical churches, it's different. It's different in Anglican churches versus, quote, your evangelical Christian Missionary Alliance church. Uh, But we don't really believe anything is happening at the table. Like I was sitting in McDonald's, which is a place I hung out for years, meeting people, seeing God at work. And I was sitting there with three guys from Life on the Vine Church, and we were working through our issues and confessing our sin—what we call a triad. And I was telling him about the need to go. I feel the need to go to church, even when I'm on vacation. In fact, I, I, I will go to the nearest church—Roman Catholic, Lutheran—I don't care—just so I can be with the Eucharist in the presence of the Eucharist. And 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 one of the guys said, Do "You believe? You really believe in that? Why, why? It's a vacation." I go, "Yes, yes." I, and and here's what he said to me: This guy's been going to Life on the Vine with us for like two years. You really believe in that hocus pocus? I believe in that. I believe there's something to be learned in that statement. You really believe in that hocus pocus? I think the average Christian, dare I say the average Anglican, views what happens around the table as a nice sentimental idea. But it's like David Letterman. Is this really anything? Isn't this anything? This is where the evangelicals and the Anglicans in the room need to get together and talk and rediscover the presence of Christ in the Eucharist, the real presence of Christ, that he has indeed come to be with us. Okay, so now I've been talking for a good half an hour or more, but I'd like to get to the nitty-gritty of... I'm going to sketch this out quick and then we can take a break and we can go into questions. But I believe that, and I'm going to use this board over here. Can you see this board over here? Can you all see it? Yeah. So I believe that the space of the Eucharist starts, it, I call it table on the move. Table on the move. And I I believe it starts in this closed circle, right? Wherever we gather on Sunday morning or Saturday night, um, the closed circle represents the first space. The table is founded here. All who gather here are committed Followers of Christ in submission to Jesus as Lord. If the kingdom of God is composed of the King and his subjects, uh, that's a hat tip to Scott McKnight's latest book, uh, Kingdom Conspiracy, which is somewhat controversial, and I don't necessarily agree with it at all. But uh, you know, if the kingdom is people submitted to the King, which is one of his contentions, and I agree with him, then here is where. Uh, The kingdom takes shape around the very presence of the king himself. And Christ is at the center. We could say here that um, Jesus Christ is host of this table. He's at the center. At this table, we carefully discern our relationship to God and Christ before we dare approach it. You know, we discern things like enmity between us. We discern whether we are indeed willing to submit one to another. And because of this discernment, it's the closest of fellowship. The, uh, the Church of the Brethren, <clears throat> an Anabaptist group, call it the close table. Kind of trying to avoid the idea of an exclusive table. It's close. Trying to avoid the idea of closed table. They call it close it's intimate fellowship. Get that idea of John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved around the inauguration of the Eucharist, resting on Jesus. And they're all, the 12 disciples are all very close. And it's so powerful that uh, Judas leaves. He can't handle it. It orders our lives together. So And, and, and so, is, you know, the one who eats the bread... Unworthily walks out in a way to well Judas, Iscariot walks out. It orders our lives towards Christ or away from Christ. Judas can't stand. Judas can't stand the intensity of the closeness around the table. This closeness, again, is marked in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is shocked at the disregard for one another, in Christ and in his presence. The table, therefore, requires discernment. Discernment. So, um, this is where the table is shaped by Christians. And this is, at, at our church, at Life on the Vine, we needed to recapture the full meaning of the Eucharist. So we started out once a month. We did Eucharist every week. But we started out once a month for an hour and a half sitting before the table at 9 o'clock. And we learned how to be present to the presence of Christ and to one another, the Eucharistic prayer, the bringing our burdens and hurts and pains to the table in prayers. The, we were able to talk very carefully about how this bread is the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation how this cup is the new life, the new covenant in my blood, the new life we have by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. We spend a whole hour and a half thinking, not thinking, but practicing being present to the Eucharist to reinvigorate what the Eucharist is. But this dotted circle, or, or this uh, close circle does not stay only on uh, with the church on Sunday mornings. And so... Um, This is an arrow, this is a dotted circle, and typically I found that this, that's a house. It's extended into our homes. Like the Friday night uh, gathering that I was talking about. Doing what I, uh, the prayer. And as we tended to one another, and we recognized that the presence of Christ is extended here God started to work in people's lives. Now, uh, I'm on tape, and I don't even know if that's a camera, but I may be on camera too. And I cannot tell you some of the most intimate things that happened around that table without it going on the internet and being inappropriate. But we saw people deal with depression, people who were in the hospital with suicidal thoughts, People who were on various hallucinatory drugs for three or four years worked themselves out of that. We would sit around every night after the meal tending to the presence. The kids would go downstairs and do what they do in terms of playing and having a good time. And the dessert would come and we'd pour the coffee. And I would normally lead the question for the night, which was either, in, <clears throat> in Mike Breen's words, either an up, in, or out question, and I would say something like, if it were a, a, an in question is about the community, an out question is about the, uh, what's going on in mission, and an up question is about what's going on between you and God, your personal relationship. So this, this was an in question for that given night. And I said something like, why do you come here? Why do we come here? and uh, people started to talk about the things that were going on in their lives because they were being known for the first time. The world's hungering for presence, for the presence of Christ, for the presence one with another out of which we start to work out our lives together. Weird, uh, not weird, but just things that were were inside for years in people's lives would be (coughs) blurted out. And not they were never judged, but they were, hmm, questions. Where's that voice coming from? We don't hate you. We love you. Slowly, people's lives would be changed around the table. Um, so in this dotted circle, we go from Jesus as the host to the Christian as the host or the disciple. I think disciple might be better. Disciple is the host. Um, The Christian becomes the host. In Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, like, we all know the feeding of the 5,000. These people came curious. A lot of people came curious as to what they were seeing and hearing of Jesus. And Jesus saw them as a wandering herd without a shepherd. And Jesus sees what's happening. Disciples, you may recall, say, hey, hey, we got these people, they all want to eat, we should send them away. And Jesus says these words. He says... uh, you give them something to eat, right? You give them something to eat. Now, uh, Jesus was uh, taking the leadership of the table off of himself and onto the disciple, right? So the disciple is now the host. What do they do? <clears throat> the disciple goes. Uh, the disciples go. Uh, that would cost us two hundred denarii. That would cost us two hundred days' wages. Uh, You expect us to do that. Immediately we see that they had the wrong conception of what it means to host the table. To host the table does not mean that you are to take control and solve everybody's problems. You are to host the space for the kingdom to break in, to lead people to surrender and submit. To Jesus Christ as Lord and let him do the work. And so Jesus illustrates how that happens by, he says, bring me what you have. Not 200 denarii's worth. Not what you think you need. Not what you've pre-calculated to solve everybody's problems. Just give me what you have. Five loaves and two fishes. Okay, give it to me. He breaks, he takes breaks He takes, blesses, breaks, gives. Those are the Eucharistic words, right? Jeffrey Wayne, right? You all know that. Do you teach that here in the Anglican? the 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 Eucharistic words. John, help me out. You don't know them, say. Yeah, these are the Eucharistic words. Anytime you see these, these. This is for the Christian Missionary Alliance, guys. Because we didn't teach this at uh, Alliance Seminary. I'm just kidding. If you guys hate me afterwards, we need to talk and reconcile. Um, the, the Eucharistic words, take, bless, break, give, happen, and, and their lives are flourished. Now, we know that the disciples still formed the circle. They still formed a circle. They're still, like like a lot of times when people are starting home groups how, in, in the neighborhood, I go, they say, well, we need to invite non-Christians. No, let's start with Christians. If we can get the Christians on board, that'll be a huge step forward and then you'll be surprised not do it but but notice that it's a porous circle and so at our Friday night gathering we we often found people get like a woman down the street going through a horrific divorce needed help with her furniture one night It's Friday night Ryan said hey Friday night everybody comes over just come over and help right there we went over there in about an hour we did like two days' worth of work, what would take her two days' worth of work, and then we just came back and celebrated. Well, can I come too? Yes. Another another situation was there's was a family going through really difficult times with their daughters, and uh, they wanted to come. Hey, we hear what's going on over there at your house. Can we please come over? Yes, of course you can come over. And at, at the end of at the uh, you know at the end of the question, we'd always have prayer. Call the kids back. Sit around pray and we prayed and they saw what it meant for the kingdom to break in people there's 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 porous places to break into the circle and see what the kingdom looks like there's another example of this are you all still with me because what I want to do is I want to get through with this take a break and then we can go through questions and have more fun we got to go through the difficult task of teaching stuff before we can have fun You all still with me? Can I go another 10 minutes? Okay, cool. Um, In Acts 27, the, the chapter 27, Paul finds himself in the middle of a shipwreck. And after 14 days, I don't know why Luke decided to make a big deal about the 14 days. There's some reason for that number. I don't remember what it is. But it's obvious that he's been there among the people proclaiming gospel, and there's some followers there. There seems to be some followers there. Uh, uh, Aristarchus is mentioned by name, as someone they know, a centurion. In verse 43, so there's there's some disciples going here, and what does he do in the midst of this storm? He says, in my other notes, I actually have the, the texts nicely already out here, so I don't have to go looking for it, but The words of institution, he says, uh, the words of institution, he says, take the bread, bless it, and break it, verse 35. In the middle of a shipwreck, he tends to the presence of Christ among them by eating this meal. And it says, after they ate this meal, they were greatly encouraged So in the midst of struggle and pain and suffering in the neighborhood, we, what does Paul do? He breaks the bread. He says, you folks need to eat. Let us gather. And there's enough of a circle there where he does the Eucharistic thing and makes space for uh, the kingdom to break in. Now I, I really don't think, this is just my interpretive license right now, I really don't think that he had a table with two candles and a cross there on the ship while it was, you know, uh, while there were, you know, in life raft and all that. I I, I think he, he did what I did on Friday night house gathering and invited people into the presence of Christ around a meal and tended to one another and opened up the space for the kingdom. Okay, so that's the dotted circle. That's in the home. I'd like to say there's one more circle and I believe I, I, I use the word extension here on purpose it's actually it, it's actually a uh, controversial theological phrase extending the presence of Christ I believe it it's very Catholic and I'm a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor I believe it nonetheless um, Another way the Catholics and Hans von Baldischar use, use this language is Christus Prolongatus. I love that. Uh, anytime you use Latin, it sounds more impressive anyways. But uh, we are extending Christ and making space for the kingdom to break in when we eat John Howard Yoder calls these sacraments social sacraments. Christ becomes present in these social times together when we eat. And there's there's actually seven of these practices in my estimation. And so this is an extension of the presence of Christ. And there's one more extension, and I call this the, the half circle. For me, it became the McDonald's. For you, it's like uh, Tim Hortons. Okay, that, that's so stereotypical. Uh, but what I'm saying is every one of us has spaces where we intersect with people in the world who are outside of Christ. And there's occasion to share a beverage or a meal or a piece of pizza. These become the places where the presence of Christ becomes real in witness. Uh, Whereas uh, Jesus Christ is host here, the Christian is host here, we are the guest here. The non-Christian is the host. We submit ourselves to what God's doing in this place. But because, I love walking back and forth, (laughs) driving you nuts. Uh, But because we, uh, we have been here, and we have been here, we can recognize his presence here. And the real question here in the third half circle, is the third space, is will Jesus be welcomed here? These two spaces, Jesus is at the center. Jesus' presence is cultivated here. He is welcomed here. This is open space. We are bringing the presence of Christ into this relationship. And the question is, will he be welcomed here? Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples, 70 of them, into every town and place. And they are sent as extensions of Jesus Christ, right? They are sent... Because in Matthew, uh, now I can't remember what the text is, but in the Matthew version of Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, They who welcome you welcome me. I'm there with you. We are extending the presence of Christ into the world. He had to go and be present there. He says, Go and eat. With people. Remain in the same house. Don't go from house to house. Verse 7. Eat and drink what they provide. Go needy. Go as the guest, not the one who's in charge. Go and be among, be with. Don't bring your purse, he says. Go needy. You are not in charge. Go no vulnerable as lamb among wolves. First three, give up control. Take the posture of receiving. This is the posture of the Eucharist. And then he says, All that. Eat what's set before you. And then, then proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick. You see how the posture of the Eucharist opens the space for the gospel to be proclaimed, for people to be healed, for what we in the CMA call evangelism happens. So often we go into our situations in the world pre-programmed to do certain things to evangelize. Jesus is saying, Go be present and be with. Open up the space out of which I will give you the words to proclaim. The other day I was speaking on evangelism and I said there's three Ps and it's important what order they are to be uh, done. First P, presence, what we're talking about today. Second P, proclamation of the gospel. Third P, power. And the important thing about power is this will come not from you, But from you, laying the ground, from you participating in the presence and discerning what God's doing and proclaiming gospel, kingdom will break in. That's the third space. Jesus goes, I'll just give you one more text. There's many texts like this, by the way. Jesus models this discipline of the third half circle. He visits the homes of publicans and sinners all the time, is always eating with them, and always aggravating the holier-than-thou people. The Pharisees are always in an uproar. I mean, uh, a simple example is Zacchaeus, where he's in the tree, and Jesus goes up to him and implores him to come down. And, and Jesus says, I will go to your house today. I will eat your food today. And then the Pharisees saying, or it just says actually, many grumbled and said, he has gone to be a guest. This is, uh, it's verse seven somewhere in, uh, I don't know, sorry. But when you find it, it will say this. He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. He has gone to be a guest, not in control, not pre-programmed. He's gone to be with, be humble, vulnerable, tend to the presence of what God's doing there, His presence. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Do you see the dynamics of the three circles of the Eucharist? From Jesus as host, to Christian disciple as host, to guest, the sinner as host. I contend, and now I'm going to wrap it up. Hold on a minute, I've got like several pages more to go. But I'm going to end right here and maybe the rest of it will come out in questions. But I contend that the church is all three of these spaces. The Eucharist is not just something you do on Sunday morning. It's something, it's a way of life. We extend the presence of Christ into the world and so the church is really all three spaces. When we do this and we only focus on the left close circle, I contend that the church goes into maintenance mode. I contend that this is the, uh, this is what happened when things start going nuts with the budget and we've gotta get more people in the seats and we've got to soup up the Sunday morning service, and we go into maintenance mode, and we become defensive, and we become weird, (laughs) because we become cloistered off to ourselves. I contend that when we go and break and spend all our time in this circle, separating ourselves from this, we enter into exhaustion mode we end up turning people and problems and issues and suffering into projects that we're going to go solve, just like the disciples were doing. And we get exhausted. I contend that uh, when we go into maintenance modes, these intermediate, this intermediate space, this, let's call it a mediating space, turns into um, an affinity group. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, uh, this is where I'm going to be with my friends. Only my friends. Only my friends. Yeah. When we concentrate only on this, this intermediary space becomes a social cause. A club for my social cause. We have a church plant in Hyde Park. Uh, south side of Chicago. Say what? That's right. That must be the next one. Do you know HBO's? Hyde Park? Yeah. You know Hyde Park? Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a very, it's University of Chicago. It's kind of like University of Toronto. Uh, very uh, intellectual place. Everybody's got a cause. Everybody's got a cause. No Jesus. We just all got a cause. We have some of the weirdest causes in the world. We can we can have social clubs for um, uh, the promotion of, of uh, animals for justice in Lake Michigan. Animals can contribute to justice in Lake Michigan. I'm sure that's true, but I don't know if I build my whole life around it. But everyone's got a cause. That's what happens when we separate uh, uh, and, and become located over here. Um, so we need all three spaces. We will we will loop back. I contend that if we don't have all three spaces, the people I'm this is somewhat in doubt, but I'm gonna put it out there and you, you can talk. I don't think you can go from straight from this space to this space. In in, in a post Christendom world, I don't think you can go from McDonald's to the church. I I, uh, I spent five wonderful years. Before, before our church moved us to the second of our three church plants. I uh, spent a um, long time at McDonald's. I, I, you know, here's, here's how you figure out uh, the third space, the half circle. Uh, you take a look at your life and you take a look at what you're doing and you see where you're intersecting with other church people and other not church people and you realize, oh, if I will just pay attention to this space, God's at work there. I don't have to really do anything. I don't have to make a program out of it. I can just actually pay attention. And I I started to see this place where I'm a professor now. Been a professor for 10 years. I needed a place to read. They make us read a lot. Grade papers. Answer email. Uh, And you know, some other uh, administrative tasks. And so I just would hang out at McDonald's from like six o'clock to nine o'clock every morning. I realized God wasn't working in this place strangely if I would just pay attention. And what do you know? Amazing things would happen. And whenever anybody sat in front of me or with me around this table that I was at, I called it my, my, my office. Uh, not, not to mean anything like territorial about that, but I just found that uh, people would come and sit and talk. And I would have to listen. And I would pay attention. And I would do this thing. Like, like, if you're trained as an evangelical, you start to think right away, I've got to do something here. I've got to say something here. I need a tract or something. <laughs> Um, But but what I started to realize is I would just tend to what Jesus is doing here. His presence is here. I would have a number number 10 sandwich, no cheese, with with a large coffee, and, and I'd just be sitting there, and these people would come and sit, and I'd say, and the voice in the head, which would be the Holy Spirit most of the time, would say, just tend to what I'm doing here. And all of a sudden, over the next five years, marvelous stories, marvelous things would happen. Um, I, I have a few set stories, three or four that I tell all the time, but there was probably, if I would count them, over 100 in five years. Like, like one of the stories I was telling the other day was Steve, I mean there's, there's about probably 10 people without homes that I got to know over five years. I used to be very afraid of people, homeless people they call them. I used to be very afraid. I'm a CMA pastor, we don't make much money, and this person's going to drain me. And I'm going to drain my bank account. And so if I get too close, what's going to happen? And, um, but I found that voice saying, no, just tend to what I'm doing. Quit worrying so much about yourself. And by the way, I learned it here in this house, this, this middle uh, circle. I'd learned to tend to the presence. I think if you're going to plan a church, start in that middle circle and tend to learn how to tend to the presence. But one day Steve comes in, He's got his draw twice the size, one side as the other. I go, "Hey, this is going to cost me a thousand bucks. Lord, what do you want me to do?" And I goes, "Quit worrying about yourself." And I just, I just tended to what God was doing, listening to the voice of the spirit, and I said, "Here's my dentist. Here's his phone number. Steve had a white van. I said, "Make an appointment. If he asks who's going to pay for it, have him call me. He did call me. We will pay for it." And uh, um, he got his teeth taken care of, and Steve, so, so the dentist never calls me back. He never sent me a bill. Two weeks later, three weeks later, Steve is saying, thanks so much for all you did for me. I, gotta, I go, oh, I didn't do anything for you. You know that dentist? He never asked for any money. You're kidding me. I said, Steve, what you just saw was the kingdom of God. That's the way the kingdom of God works. It opens up space. I had nothing to do. In fact, I was so worried that I'd have to spend money that I was scared. I'm just a poor pastor. Okay? So, but do you see? I, I once counted up uh, uh, that year how much money I actually spent helping my friends without homes. It was $243.19. I can handle that. Uh, we, God, does, uh, Jesus doesn't say, Uh, Take care of all the problems. He just says, he just, give me what you got and I will flourish it. We need to open up these spaces in the middle. Okay, so with that, let's take a 10 minute break and then I, I I just wanna hear what you're thinking. I wanna hear if you got any questions. You maybe have 10 reasons why this is not possible. I'd like to hear that too. Let's take a break, get some coffee. And we'll, we'll start up again in ten minutes.